Hi, everybody. This is Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome to Prophecy Today. If you have an hour and a half, keep the dial set right where it is. This program is going to help you understand the current events that are unfolding, in particular in Syria, but across the entire world as well. I'm located here in Katy, Texas, just outside of Houston. At the First Baptist Church tomorrow and Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, we'll be teaching Bible prophecy. We're going to be a part of Randy White's Winter Bible Conference, and I'll focus on Bible prophecy. You need to come and join us. First Baptist Church, Katy, Texas, we'd love to have you come and study the prophetic Word of God. What an interesting time in history, and especially the season that we are in right now, to study Bible prophecy. I want you to stand by. We're going to be talking about Hanukkah. That begins tonight across the Jewish world. We'll have a rabbi and we'll have a former Orthodox Jew who will talk about Hanukkah. That's all ahead, plus my report from out of Romania. Our son Jim Jr. is there teaching the first ever premillennial pre-trib rapture prophecy conference to a group of pastors. So keep the dial set where it is. We'll have these interviews with our broadcast partners starting right now. A lot of breaking news happening around the world. We need to get to our broadcast partners right now. The first one up to these microphones, Ken Timmerman in the Washington, D.C. area. He covers geopolitical activities for us, and it's always very informative when we have a conversation with Ken Timmerman. Ken, it looks like Syria's mixing the ingredients for sarin gas uh, I need to understand what this is all about. Can you give us an overall big picture of what the danger possibly really is? Uh, sure. The The Syrians have a very large chemical weapons arsenal. Uh, some say it's the third largest in the world. Others think it's the first or the second largest. Uh, and many of these uh, weapons are actually uh, separated into uh, binary components. In other words, two separate chemicals that have to be combined together at the last minute and then packed into warheads. Uh, Once they are packed into the warheads, they have about a 60-day shelf life. So that's why the deployment of the weapons uh, is an important phase. It's something that can be detected by intelligence services and overhead surveillance. Uh, They can, you know, the the Western Western countries and Israel uh, are actually capable of uh, detecting when the Syrians start mixing the chemicals and packing them into warheads. Now, what I've noticed in the past couple of days, uh, Jimmy, is that uh, the United States' red line on chemical weapons deployment by the Syrians has shifted dramatically. A week or two ago, it was um, our red line, we do not want you to deploy these weapons. We do not want you to uh, mix the chemicals and pack them into the warheads or else. Of course, that or else is left hanging. Now they're saying chemical weapons use. And I was with um, uh, Robert Ford, who is the U.S. ambassador to Syria, on Thursday at a forum in Washington. And it was very curious to watch this dance between deployment and use. Uh, So now the red line appears to be use. And um, what I think is tragic here is that uh, essentially the United States has telegraphed the Syrians that they can go ahead and use the weapons. They will pay a price for that but the U.S. is powerless to prevent them from actually using chemical weapons on the battlefield. This will be the first time that chemical weapons have been used that we know of uh, in an offensive uh, military manner since Saddam Hussein gassed his own Kurds in 1988. 
Well, let me ask you a couple of questions that are obvious. Do you think that Bashar Assad is going to do something like this? I mean, it looks like he has the capability. Will he follow through and gas his own people or anybody in that section of the world? I would not put it past him. Um, this is this is somebody who has already uh, murdered somewhere between 40,000 and 50,000 of his own people with impunity. He has paid no price for it, uh, and he does not particularly believe the U.S. threats to be credible, and frankly, I don't blame him. Uh, you have U.S. Uh, military, senior U.S. military officers saying it would take 75,000 troops on the ground to secure all of the chemical weapons and chemical weapons depots and chemical weapons production facilities in Syria. 75,000. Now, where are those troops today? Where are they going to come from? How are we going to get them there? Um, nobody believes that that is about to happen. The Israelis are certainly not going to mobilize 75,000 troops to move into an Arab country uh, to uh, uh, seize control of weapons facilities. It's just not going to happen. So Assad essentially sees that there is nothing to deter him from doing this, and he believes that he can break the back and break the will of the opposition by eliminating thousands of dissidents and thousands of civilians in a single attack. Ken, I was reading an article earlier today which said, seemed to indicate possibly that what Bashar Assad may well do is take all of these Alawite uh, peoples that are a part of his constituency of leadership there in Syria and go to the northeastern section of the country, take these chemical weapons up there with him, ready if need be to be deployed, uh, but just to have an enclave where he could protect those who have been supporting him and his father for these some 40-plus years of leadership in Syria. Is that a possibility that he may be looking at as well? Well, it, it's, it's certainly feasible that uh, Assad could be looking at a uh, Alawite rump state uh, that would include the port of Latakia. That would make the Russians happy because that is essentially their uh, port on the Mediterranean, something that they've been looking for 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 uh, scores of years and finally achieved with the Assad regime. Um, and, and, you know, they would be able to defend that, both with conventional uh, military uh, might and possibly with chemical weapons. But he does not need to actually uh, mix the chemicals to deploy the weapons. He could move the stockpiles uh, to some areas in uh, the Alawite rump states. Uh, and so far, I haven't seen the evidence of that being done. It seems to be that he's actually mixing chemicals, or we're being told that he's mixing chemicals into the weapons, and that would suggest that he's actually going to use them on the battlefield. Yes, that's what it sounds like. I also read a report from uh, somewhat of an expert on this type of weapon out of Israel, Barilan University. He made this statement that uh, if indeed they do mix these chemicals together to get the sarin gas and they put it in an aerial bomb and they take that up and to start to drop it someplace, it's easier and much more safe in order to be able to take out that bomb, hitting that bomb in the air with a missile or just striking it with uh, shots from a F-16 or something, because then the gas dissipates up in the heavenlies and not coming down on the earth. Is that viable also? Well, uh, it, it depends really, I think, on how much uh, uh, a chemical weapons agent you're talking about uh, and how close to the ground the aircraft would be. Uh, normally, the way that um, the United States has disposed of these weapons uh, in Iraq after the first Gulf War in 1991 
uh, is to set up a large facility that incinerates them at extremely high temperatures, and that basically vaporizes the chemicals and renders them useless. But if you have a uh, large amount of these chemicals going up into the atmosphere, they could be just as deadly there as they could um, dropping in a bomb. Tough scenario, whichever direction we go. Well, let's look in a different section of the Middle East, Egypt. The Egyptian army erecting barriers at the, the presidential palace there in Cairo. All the demonstrations that have been going on, the president is restraining anything, any change of mind as it relates to his dictatorial control and uh, this new constitution, which they're putting up for a referendum in just a couple of days. What's happening there? Well, uh, you know, it, it's quite interesting to see the, um, the tensions in Cairo. Uh, everybody had essentially given this up for lost to the Muslim Brotherhood, and now you have uh, hundreds of thousands of people once again taking to the streets, but this time protesting against the Muslim Brotherhood. Um, look, I think uh, what we can say safely is that uh, this battle is not over. The, um, the Egyptian people have not uh, given uh, a um, mandate to the Muslim Brotherhood to transform Egypt into an Islamist state. That's what the Brotherhood thought. They are wrong. And uh, those crowds that forced Morsi out of the presidential palace uh, have proven that. When we look at geopolitical activities, we've got to keep Iran on the radar screen as well. And I understand there's a doomsday possibility for Iran, the United States, testing the EMP bombs. Is that correct? And could they use them on Iran? Well, this is one of the most fascinating stories that I've looked at, Jimmy, in, in many, many months. And uh, apparently Boeing uh, has tested a, a ch- what they call a CHAMP weapon, which is a localized EMP-generating uh, missile. Um, from the animations that Boeing has shown on its public website, it appears to be something like a cruise missile uh, that would loiter at relatively low speeds, in other words, subsonic speeds, over a target area and selectively light up uh, buildings or facilities. And when I say light up, I mean just figuratively, because it does just the opposite. It turns them dark. It shuts off the power, shuts down computers, uh, destroys silicon with an EMP or electromagnetic uh, pulse wave. Now, this is extremely significant because um, one of the doomsday scenarios that you and I have discussed and, and has become uh, you know, quite a subject of concern in Washington, D.C., is a country such as Iran using a nuclear weapon to generate a massive EMP pulse that would uh, take down the entire power grid in the United States if exploded high above the atmosphere. This is a very different kind of weapon. This is a, essentially a directed energy weapon, a, um, a um, high-intensity but uh, intensely focused weapon uh, that does not use a nuclear blast, as far as I've been able to determine, uh, to be able to take out selective buildings. So this could be used in a preemptive strike, for example, to cripple uh, Iran's air defenses, to take down uh, missile launchers, uh, to um, essentially take all their radar offline, to shut down uranium enrichment plants. But it does not uh, conduct, it does not actually, uh, from what I've understood so far, it does not actually cause physical damage. It uh, shuts down the electronics. You're right, Ken. It's a very, very interesting development. Ken Timmerman, he looks at geopolitical activities for us. That's why we bring him to these microphones. Ken, thank you so very much. We'll talk real soon. Thank you, Jimmy. God bless.
Thank you very much, Ken. We're going to take a break. We'll have the Middle East News Update with David Dolan. That's all ahead here on Prophecy Today. In today's world, a biblical worldview and a proper understanding of biblical prophecy should be a priority. At a time when many false doctrines are entering the church at a frightening pace, we must be able to rightly divide God's Word in order to live a pure and productive life for Him. If you would like an in-depth understanding of biblical prophecy, let me challenge you to consider Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. The School of Prophets is an online study for the layman or student pursuing a master's or doctorate degree. Dr. DeYoung's online study program will allow you to develop a timeline of of biblical prophecies of the past, as well as future prophecies yet to be fulfilled. Your personal study of God's Word will only be enhanced by Dr. DeYoung's School of Prophets, and your life will be changed as you better understand, like Daniel, where you fit into God's calendar of events. If you're interested in developing a deeper understanding of God's prophetic Word, let me personally invite you to become involved in Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. Call today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Or visit us at schoolofprophets.org. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Hi, everybody. Jimmy D. Young. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Lots of things happening around our world, in particular in the Middle East, so we bring our Middle East News Update guy, David Dolan, longtime journalist in Jerusalem. He knows how to help us understand what is really unfolding in that part of the world. And David, let's get to the conversation immediately. Uh, There's concern that uh, Bashar Assad over in Syria may have put the ingredients together uh, to put together a Syrian gas that would be very, very dangerous if it's released, could kill quickly. But what are the Israeli leaders saying about this possibility, this threat of a Syrian gas out of Syria? Well, Jimmy, it's been one of the uh, nightmare scenarios um, for decades now, ever since the Soviet Union began to supply uh, their ally Syria in the 60s uh, under uh, the current dictator's father, uh, Hafez al-Assad, with the capabilities of producing uh, sarin nerve gas, uh, which is what you've just been speaking of, and VX nerve gas and other chemical agents that are extremely deadly. And uh, I sure remember well sitting in my sealed room in 1991 when Saddam was sending his Scud missiles from Iraq uh, over to Israel, and they were exploding mainly in Tel Aviv, but we had a few around Jerusalem as well. And um, the only protection against these deadly nerve agents is to be in dead air. Uh, A gas mask is not enough. 
um, uh, it's not just breathed in. If just a droplet of this um, of this sarin nerve gas gets on your skin anywhere, on your neck, on your hand, uh, any exposed skin, and is absorbed by the skin, it begins to shut down the central nervous system immediately, and it takes just minutes for a person to literally choke to death. Um, from this, so it's very, they're very deadly weapons, horrible weapons, and these are not playthings. These are very, very serious uh, weapons, and these reports that they've been loading the uh, components of the sarin uh, nerve gas onto airplanes, uh, that came from uh, report NBC News had uh, in the middle of this week, um, very, very disturbing, and of course earlier the State Department, the White House, the UN, NATO, all confirming that there is some activity going on in these uh, chemical bases. Uh, Syria has two main ones, but they have about 16 in total where these agents are stored. Obviously, the spy satellites have been watching them very, very closely. Unusual activity, and the concern in Israel is that they're not planning to use them against their own rebel forces, but to use them against Israel in an attempt to unify their own people, get the support of the entire uh, Muslim world, because, of course, the common uh, hatred for Israel and desire to see Israel destroyed uh, really permeates uh, much of the Islamic world, at the very least, uh, countries all over the place. So that is Israel's greatest concern has been, and so they're watching things, as you can imagine, extremely closely at this moment. Yes, this uh, should cause everybody to be much concerned. But as you're reporting to us, the Israeli leadership very, very carefully and uh, circumspectly watching what's happening there. Well, let's uh, shift back to Jerusalem for a little bit. It looks like uh, that uh, there is going to be a fight for the city of Jerusalem, and uh, probably helping that to come about is the fact that King Abdullah of Jordan came into Ramallah. He was received royally in Ramallah, where he met with Mahmoud Abbas, who now claims to be the president of Palestine. They talked about a political strategy to develop that state of Palestine. Give us an update. Well, of course, the um, the late king, King Hussein, the father of uh, Abdullah, um, formally um, renounced Jordan's claim to uh, Judea and Samaria, uh, better known, of course, as the West Bank, to people around the world, um, already in 1987. So the Jordanians made clear um, quite a few years ago, over two decades ago, that they weren't going to want to return as a government to that area. Um, and, you know, we have to uh, remind our listeners that, uh, that Jordan took that in a war that the Arabs initiated against the nascent Jewish state in 1948. In other words, it was never formerly Jordanian territory. They uh, captured it militarily and then annexed it, but only Britain and Pakistan, of all the countries of Earth, recognized that annexation. So when their forces were tossed out in 1967 in the Six-Day War, uh, they, they lost their direct control and really haven't had anything but indirect control since then, and then uh, but still a very strong influence. Uh, when uh, when Palestinians travel from Ramallah to Europe or anywhere else, they almost always travel into Jordan, cross the Allenby Bridge, and you and I have done that together, uh, going into Jordan, and many tourists and, and people do that. They cross over there and fly out of Amman. So Amman is in many ways 
um, already the capital unofficially of the Palestinian areas, or certainly the area that they do most of their business through and their flights and all of that. So um, uh, Abdullah's influence is very great, and in a sense he was um, sealing uh, or, or reminding the people of that um, uh, action by his father to say that we no longer consider this any part of Jordan. This is an area that we want to see the Palestinians have a state in. And they've been clear on that for many years. And uh, going to see Abbas was maybe an attempt to strengthen Abbas because we all can verify that his personal standing was weakened by the conflict last month between Hamas in the Gaza Strip and the IDF. And, uh, of course, Hamas claiming a great victory from that, which wasn't the case. But in terms of politics, it certainly strengthened their their image in the Arab world as the bold defenders of the Palestinians and the ones willing to take all the action. And one of their leaders said this week that Abbas needs to completely forget the peace process, ditch it entirely, and join Hamas in military actions, uh, terrorist attacks, uh, rocket attacks upon Israel until it is destroyed. So, but uh, um, Abbas is still formally committed to the Oslo Peace Treaty, and uh, King Abdullah supports that. Of course, the U.S. was behind that, and the U.S. is a strong ally of the Jordanian government. Well, Hamas is uh, standing on the street; it's growing all the time, and just. Yesterday, the Mashal, the overall Hamas leader, for the first time set foot in the Gaza Strip, and that was widely televised throughout the Arab world and widely welcomed. And Abbas announced that he will go down to Gaza to celebrate Hamas's 25th anniversary uh, as an organization coming out of the Egyptian Muslim Brotherhood. So basically, he's bowing to them as well. And I think Abdullah is kind of trying to strengthen Abbas a little bit uh, in this struggle with Hamas, because the last thing as we've talked about before, that uh, the Jordanian government wants to see is the Muslim fundamentalists try to take over their government, try to throw out the Hashemite um, monarchy there, and that is a declared goal of many of the more radical uh, Muslim groups. Yes, and also reports coming out Hamas is uh, endeavoring to try to create a Palestinian ministry of defense, which would go along with the new Palestinian state, Palestine. But we'll get back to that story at another time. I've got to ask you about what the mayor of Jerusalem said. He said, who is President Obama to think he can regulate the city of Jerusalem? And whether we build or whether we don't build, what other city in the world does the president try to regulate? What are your thoughts? Well, uh, that's a fair statement, I think. Uh, you know, this um, announcement by the Netanyahu government that they would be seeking permits to build around 4,000 new apartment units, and we have to stress that, that these are units. In other words, they would put up maybe, oh, maybe 10, 12 new buildings that each have several hundred apartments in them. That's normally how they build there, so it's not talking about a new community. These would be built in existing Jewish communities, but the issue is, is these communities are located just north and a little bit east of the Mount of Olives, very close to Hebrew University, in Jerusalem, and they would they would bring more of a land bridge between the largest Israeli community. It's called a settlement by many, but it's got about fifty thousand people in it uh, outside of Jerusalem, and that's Maale Adumim. You you and I have passed by there, going to Jordan, and uh, it's just a, a suburb of Jerusalem, really. And the Israelis would like to link it more closely to Jerusalem by uh, expanding the existing communities there 
in the direction of uniting them. Well, the Palestinians don't want that because they say it would make any state they're going to get in the future uh, cut in two, as it were. So uh, they're fighting hard against it, and President Obama's jumped into it, and the Europeans and the U.N. and everybody else. But, um, you know, the Israelis have uh, long stated, look, when it comes to Jerusalem, this is our capital, and, uh, you know, it's uh, going to remain our capital, and, you know, we're going to build uh, homes in it as we see fit, because our population is expanding, and we're going to keep doing that. But, of course, the Palestinians call that occupied territory and that the Israelis need to get out of, and, of course, they want them out of the old city as well, and uh, half of the city of Jerusalem, and that's just not going to happen willingly on the part of the Israelis, but that is and has been the focus of this conflict for decades, the city of Jerusalem. And, of course, the Bible says it would become a cup of reeling in the last days, and we can see politically, at least, it already very much is a, a very much a cup of dispute and something that everybody seems to jump in into, and uh, President Obama amongst them. Yes, it looks like uh, current events are catching up with the Bible prophecy. Uh, Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 2, the verse to which uh, David was referring. Well, thank you, David. We appreciate it. David Dolan gives us our Middle East news update, and he covers the Middle East so helpfully for us as we come to a better understanding of what's happening. David, we'll talk again soon. Thank you, buddy. Thank you. God bless. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, Rabbi Yuel Karen, we'll be talking about more on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem and Hanukkah. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Have you ever wanted to know more about God's plan for the future? Have you ever tried to understand prophetic passages in God's Word, like, say, the book of Revelation, and been frustrated at not being able to figure it out? Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest CD series, Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, will help you gain the ability to understand where to start in your study of prophecy and allow you to read God's Word in a new and exciting way. Understanding God's prophetic Word will allow you to live a pure and productive life until Jesus returns for the church. Keys will help you gain the tools you need to understand the end-time events as foretold in God's Word. Dr. DeYoung lays out a systematic approach to Bible prophecy for those who want to know God's plan for the future. Tracks included are A Roadmap Through the End Times, The Jew in Jerusalem, Daniel and the Antichrist, Ezekiel and Messiah's Temple, and Revelation and Babylon. To order your copy of Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung here in Katy, Texas, which is just outside of Houston. Well, as promised, we're going to continue in the Middle East and in particular in Jerusalem with Rabbi Yoel Karen. I want to continue some of the conversation that I started with David Dolan, and I want the rabbi to respond to some of these things. First of all, Rabbi, Chak Sameach to you. Sameach, thank you very much. Well, I'm uh, thrilled to be able to talk with you. I know that Hanukkah begins tonight and will go for eight days. I want to ask you about that in just a moment. But what I really wanted to get a hold of you for was what Mahmoud Abbas said the other day after getting the vote to raise the Palestinian Authority to state status there at the United Nations on November the 29th in New York City. He came back into Ramallah, and there he made a pronouncement I could not believe. He's saying it to the entire world. He said that Jerusalem is the eternal capital of the state of Palestine. He looked forward to the day when a child would carry the Palestinian flag and plant it someplace in Jerusalem. 
I actually believe that he wants all of Jerusalem, not just a portion of it. But with every single prime minister since David Ben-Gurion, they've said that Jerusalem is the eternal, undivided capital of the Jewish people, and we have scripture to prove that. We'll go to the Davidic covenant in just a moment. What are your thoughts, first of all, about this brash statement by the president of the Palestinian Authority? Well, you know, it's, it's, it's the old line of if you take a lie and repeat it long enough, people will begin to believe it. That's, that's all we're dealing with. That's, that's very clear. And anyone who's a student of, of history at any level, not even a serious level, can tell you that this was a place that belonged to Jews. The Jews are the only people that have ever had, ever had a capital in this, in this land, in that city. The only people that have ever had a capital in the city of Jerusalem. And as Professor Mordechai Kedar said in his interview in Al Jazeera a couple of years ago, he said this on live television on Al Jazeera in Arabic. He speaks Arabic, and he said, This city was our capital when your fathers were drinking wine and sacrificing their daughters to idols. Before there was a Muhammad, before there was Islam, this was a Jewish capital. This is Jerusalem, D.C., David's capital. You better believe it's David's capital, according to the record of the Word of God. Second Samuel chapter 5. David, who was king of Judah at that time, was invited by the other 11 tribal leaders to become king of all 12 tribes. He was leading the Judean tribe as king there in Hebron for about seven and a half years. But he captured the Jebusite stronghold, a city called Jerusalem, and he made that the political capital, the eternal undivided capital, actually, for the Jewish people. Now, that dates back some 3,000 years ago, and that, uh, of course, confirms what you just had to say about that statement made on Al Jazeera television there. But when we look over in uh, two chapters later, the seventh chapter of Second Samuel, God gives King David the Davidic covenant. He says, you cannot build the temple, but one of your sons will build the temple and rule in it. And indeed, it's going to be in the city of Jerusalem, which I'm going to give to the Jewish people forever. Over in Jeremiah chapter 33, he says, to everybody reading that passage of Scripture, hey, listen, I cannot break the Davidic covenant unless the sun, the moon, the stars, and the day and the night go away. Well, (laughs) you know, they are up and operating, the sun, the moon, and the stars in the last 24 hours, and day and night is still operating. I don't see how the Lord can break his covenant to David and the Jewish people. So there is basically no way that that can be correct, is there? Absolutely not. I I happen to be standing out looking at those stars right now, so I can testify that they're still here. You know, it must mean that there's going to be a major conflict over this city, and Zechariah the prophet in chapter 12, verse 2, said that Jerusalem would be a cup of trembling. In other words, I believe that text is talking about to someone who thinks they control Jerusalem, i.e. the Palestinian people, it's going to be intoxicating to them, and they'll be able to make a brash statement like Mahmoud Abbas made the other day. But that does mean there's going to be conflict down the road, doesn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. We know it's coming, and uh, and we know how it ends. And all all we have to do is sit here and and keep our faith. Let me just talk to you about two more things as it relates to Jerusalem and the Temple Mount. There is a man who's been vying for a position on the Likud Knesset list, Moshe Phelan. He made it this time in the Likud primaries, Likud party being one of the parties 
that are involved in the next election in January in Israel, and it's the party headed up by Benjamin Netanyahu. But as soon as he was put on that list at the position, and it's a pretty uh, possible list that uh, he will be a member of the Knesset in the next Knesset, uh, he went up to the Temple Mount to thank the Lord. Now, this is a guy who, he's an Orthodox Jew who believes that there will be a temple up there, and he said that's probably the main responsibility for the Israeli government. How about that? Would you agree with it? Absolutely, absolutely. He is a, he is a, a stalwart. Uh, he really strongly believes in, in going up to the Temple Mount. He's a regular up there, and he says if he's ever elected prime minister, this is first, the first thing he will do is go up, and hold public Jewish prayers on the Temple Mount. He did it just a, a week or so ago. He actually, and, and the Arabs did not, again, they did not say a word. World War III didn't happen. The sky didn't fall. Ten Jewish men went there, stood, and had a public prayer service. And the Arabs just stood there and looked and didn't care. And so it's, it's, things are much easier to do than the media would have us believe. And all we have to do is, if we believe, if we do what's right, God will back us up. Yes, amen. You know, meanwhile, they have the President of the United States sending all kinds of messages and personnel to tell Prime Minister Netanyahu, hey, you cannot move ahead with those 3,000 housing units, mostly in the area of uh, the eastern section of Jerusalem and out there in Judea and Samaria. That's against the rule. I love what the mayor of Jerusalem had to say. He stood up and he said, why, why does the president think he can tell us in Jerusalem what to do? What other city in the world does the president of the United States dictate to and regulate what they do? That was a great, great message from the mayor of Jerusalem to the president of the United States. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, I, it just so happens that I'm looking at that very hill, that very mountain right now, the, the E1 area that's about to be built on that, that we approved the, the 3,000 housing units for. And either, either we're a sovereign state or we're not. No one, no one would dare tell anyone where, where they can build. And, and no one would tell the United States that they can't build in Texas. And what, you know, when you put it in perspective, it's really ridiculous, the idea that you would tell someone where they can build on their own land. But that's that's what we're dealing with, unfortunately, right now. We have to stand our ground, and we have to we have to let people know that God owns the land, but He put us on it, and we're in charge of it. It's our state. We have a sovereign state here, and that's and that's how it's going to be. That is exactly how it is going to be. Well, let me get to Hanukkah. You were talking about the Maccabees and and what they did to actually rescue the Jewish state, the Temple Mount, the Temple Complex, the sacrificial system away from Antiochus Epiphanes. Uh, several thousand years ago. And because of what did happen, when they went into the temple and reconsecrated the temple, they found a jug of virgin olive oil, which they lighted the menorah with, enough olive oil to basically have the menorah be lighted for one day, but it ended up eight days, and thus the Jewish holy day of Hanukkah. That is a special celebration for the Jewish people in the winter season. Now talk to me just a moment or two, if you will, Rabbi, about what you and your family will do in the celebration of Hanukkah. Well, my family, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit different than the sort of, you know, we're no different than anyone else. There's a commercialized version of Hanukkah, and it's all about, you know, jelly donuts and, and foods fried in oil and, and spinning tops and, and lighting candles. But, you know, while, while our sages told us to light these candles to remember what happened, to remember the miracles that God did for us and the wars that he won for us, 
the, the real lesson, the real miracle of Hanukkah wasn't that some oil lasted longer than it was supposed to. That, that was a wonderful thing that God did for us when we, when, we, when we believed in His Word and we stood up for ourselves. But the real miracle of, of Hanukkah was that you have to realize at this time in history, the Jewish people had no army. They had no standing army, and they hadn't fought a war in 400 years. And they single-handedly, a group of farmers, brought down the Syrian Greek Empire. They, they ran them out of here with their tails between their legs. That was not supposed to happen. And that, my friend, is what a miracle is. When logic and reason dictate that things shouldn't go your way, but they do go your way, because the Almighty's guiding hand is steering things the way that he wants them to go the whole time. That's what a miracle is, and that's what we're really celebrating here. You know, I, I'm standing here with my mouth open. That was an unbelievable response to my question. It is exactly right, and it's a part of what Bible prophecy says. Not only in the past did God do something, presently, miracle Hello, the Jewish people are in the land after 2,000 years. They're getting ready to build a temple. But in the future, the ancient Jewish prophets tell us what will be happening when they are taken care of by the Almighty Lord himself. Well, let me just say again, Hak Sameach to you, my dear friend. Have a great time with your family as you celebrate how God has worked among the Jewish people one more time throughout history. God bless some very interesting statements made by Rabbi Yoel Karen as it relates to the city of Jerusalem, the eternal capital, according to King David, of the Jewish people, and the undivided capital for the Jewish people as well. That's always a good conversation when I get an opportunity to chat with Rabbi Yoel Karen. Well, we're going to focus now on the European Union. With that, we go to our broadcast partner, Dr. Rob Congdon. And Rob covers the European continent, the European Union, for us because they will be key players in an end-time scenario that's found in God's Word. Rob, we've been talking about uh, the threat of some type of a chemical weapon. Sarin gas is supposed to be what Bashar Assad may be putting together now, and it's a threat to the Middle East. What are the European Union peoples, the leaders there, saying about the situation in Syria? Well, um, actually, the Syrian issue hasn't been so great. Uh, they're, they're aware of it. Uh, they are concerned. Um, remember, in Europe's history, any chemical warfare is a very sensitive subject. In fact, it's, it's almost one that would rather not talk about because of the incidents from World War I, which they still remember it, uh, whether they lived at the age or not. And so they would be very disturbed over the issue and are disturbed over it and watching it closely. I think there's mixed feelings about the whole Syrian situation. And so um, they're more trying to be more observers than involved at this point. Uh, 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 the fact that um, the Egyptian Arab Spring movement has not really produced what they hoped uh, makes them not sure what's going to happen with Syria. They are concerned always, always with human rights abuses and that is a major concern to Europeans and so they're trying to sort through facts and reports and uh, and react and I think I haven't really seen the reaction yet I think they're still in this thoughtful process you know I've noticed that same 
type of reaction throughout the entire Middle East. I don't see Israel really hyper about the situation. They're speaking to the issue, and I'm sure the Israeli Defense Force is preparing for whatever. Uh, But I notice the same type of lack of comment about what is happening, maybe some things going on that we don't know about. Hamas has appealed uh, to the European Union diplomats for the opportunity to speak with them about having them removed from the terrorist list there in the European Union. Meanwhile, the European Union is denying that they have removed Hamas, Hamas, this terrorist organization, from their list. Now, this is the 25th anniversary of Hamas. Lots of celebrations have been going on in the Gaza Strip. Uh, What's the European Union thinking about how they're going to deal with this, what everybody else calls a terrorist organization? Uh, that's right, and and the EU officially is refusing to remove Hamas. They still consider them a terrorist group. In fact, it it meets the qualifications of Hamas as being a terrorist group because of its past actions. And so, officially, the EU is as is saying they won't. Now, at the same time, there is a delegation of Parliament members uh, from Poland, Portugal, and the U.K. that have visited Gaza, and they are looking over the situation there. And, of course, the appeal is to them to say go back and uh, and affect the EU. Um, while that brings a lot of publicity, a lot of discussion, I, I always comment the bottom line is it's the EU Commission that will make decisions more than the Parliament. So uh, we see action of it. I think it represents these members from Parliament that are visiting Gaza, when they speak, they are the ones that are sort of stirring up this idea that maybe Hamas should be removed from the terrorist list because their their hearts are being appealed to as they see rubble and destruction and results of the fighting. But individually, individual countries may start thinking about it. Apparently they have been, but the EU has held firm on the terror list status for Hamas, and I think they will continue. I I think on the level of the total Europe, it is still seeing Hamas as a terrorist group. This is not a Middle East news update that I'm doing with you, Rob, but it seems like we need to keep focusing back on Israel. European Union is uh, saying uh, that uh, the souring relationships that they have uh, with what's happening in the Jewish settlements there uh, and they're about to boycott uh, the some of the foodstuffs that come out of that part of the world there in Israel. Uh, but others of the European Union leadership say, no, wait a minute, now hold up, we're not going to do that. What's happening? Yeah, again, we have the... Um the individual countries and people within those countries who do want to boycott the goods. And yet uh, the EU as a whole, they don't want to. They need those goods. Uh, It is part of their economy. They can't necessarily cut back. So I think there's a financial pressure. There is a need pressure that will probably keep the EU from taking any formal position. Uh, bottom line is the European Union has long had a policy that they don't believe boycotts should be used. Uh, they're opposed to them as a tool uh, to you know, force negotiation. Now, they aren't opposed to banning uh, certain items being shipped to areas such as the Iranian situation. So they're kind of, in a sense, two-faced here. They don't like boycotts, but they do believe in bans, and they aren't ready to start creating some kind of ban against Israel as a nation. So I don't think we're going to see a real threat to boycott goods. 
there is and has been the tendency to argue that any goods coming from Israel should be labeled more than just coming from Israel. They should be labeled whether they're coming from the settlement areas so that individuals could sort of boycott, if you will. But even that hasn't gained any real ground. And uh, again, I've got to keep uh, the focus on something else relating to the Middle East. This last week, Prime Minister Netanyahu and his wife, in fact, went into Germany. They had a meeting with uh, the Chancellor, Angela Merkel, and they, at the end of that meeting, agreed to disagree. Uh, of course, uh, the Prime Minister of Israel is saying, we need these settlements. They're a detriment uh, to attack. In other words, they're helping the peace actually stay in place there in that part of the world. Angela Merkel disagreed. Uh, in fact, the Prime Minister mentioned to Miss Merkel that uh, he was very much upset the way uh, the Germans at the United Nations actually changed their vote from a no against the Palestinian state uh, to a abstention vote. Uh, anything uh, developing there that's of interest? Well, I think you've, you've summed it up very well. Uh, Israel always watches Germany, and the relations between Germany and Israel have been good in, in many ways, and I think they still are. I do think we have a situation here where uh, Germany came under the pressure of fellow nations. Uh, remember, Germany is trying to lead the European Union today. They are trying to deal with the financial crisis, which I, I point out is always the top issue in, the Europe, in Europe today. So they probably voted or abstained as a hope to kind of keep the unity within the EU, and it really wasn't so much a vote against Israel as trying to maintain solidarity of Europe. Um, so I think that's why these talks probably and in reality went well, and the simple statement they agreed to disagree was a, a comfortable statement. Uh, Netanyahu did get across again and reiterated the position that uh, uh, Israel is worried about being taken to the Court of Human Rights, which involves the EU, uh, by the Hamas or the Palestinians. So uh, Germany understands it, and um, we always have you know what has to be on the surface and then what's really going on behind the scenes. So um, I, I, I don't see any serious problem between Germany and Israel at this point. Uh, unfortunately, it you know, could lead to other difficulties court-wise, but uh, Germany is still behind Israel and will be. Rob, thank you so very much for joining us again today, and uh, we'll talk next week. I'll look forward to it. Lord bless. You know, Rob Congdon brings some very important information to these microphones when we have a conversation with him, one of our great broadcast partners. We talked earlier with Rabbi Yoel Karen about Hanukkah, and that's from an Orthodox Jewish perspective. I want to bring to these microphones a man, every time we have a Jewish holy day, we bring him to these microphones to talk with us. We're talking about Steve Herzig. He's the national director of Friends of Israel. He's the author of a couple of books entitled Jewish Customs and Culture. That's the first one. And then Jewish Customs and Culture, volume number two. And he is the man that can really give us insight. He comes from an Orthodox Jewish background. And so, you know, there's a great relationship with he and the Jewish people because of his background, but now knows Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And that does change, Steve, everything as it relates to your celebration of Hanukkah, does it not? It, well, it, it does, Jimmy, only in the sense that uh, as, I, as we see Hanukkah, 
we realize that Hanukkah is the holiday or the day, special time that uh, really made it possible for Jesus to be born. And that, that means a lot to me now. Talk about that. Why do you say that? Well, Jimmy, uh, back in what is called the intertestamental period, uh, there was uh, difficulties between Syria to the north and Egypt to the south. Uh, there was a vicious uh, ruler who was one of the f- four uh, uh, countries that sprang out of uh, Ale- from Alexander and his conquest uh, and the, uh, for the Greeks. And uh, he came down to Egypt to try to conquer them. Uh, Rome was stopping him from doing what he wanted to do, and he was very angry, and he threw a tantrum. And the tantrum that he threw was he wanted to do what Alexander wanted to do, and that is turn everybody to the Greek culture. And so he went through Israel, he desecrated the temple by killing a pig, and he demanded everyone to either assimilate or they would die. And he wanted them to eat pig, and uh, it, it was not a good time for the Jewish people. In each uh, province or area around Israel, they would send soldiers to make them compromise the dietary uh, uh, rules for the Jewish people. And there was a family by the name of Maccabees who lived in a city called Modin, and they were willing to die rather than compromise the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They killed the soldiers and fled to the mountains. Now, at that time, most uh, most people who lived in Israel who were Jewish were not fighters. Today, that's certainly not the case, but that's the way it was then. But over a period of three years, the Maccabees were able to create a rebellion that brought them back to the Temple Mount, defeated Antiochus, and reestablished or rededicated the Temple. If Antiochus would have won, Jimmy, then there would be no Jewish people today. And when Christians celebrate, many of them by reading from the Scripture, they know that the Messiah had to come from the tribe of Judah. Uh, And there would have been no tribe of Judah. All the people would have compromised, and Jesus Christ would have never been born. Now, I'm not saying God couldn't have done something else. He's the God, a sovereign God. But I am saying that in the plan of God, if Antiochus accomplished what he said, if there were no Hanukkah, there would be no Christmas. Wow, what a very important story, especially at this Christmas season. Uh, Steve, talk to me about the lighting of the candles. Now, this is a celebration of the victory over Antiochus, correct? It is. It is It, it, it is a tradition that occurred a number of years after the actual event took place, and it's written about in the Talmud. And the idea is there's a story that when they dedicated the temple, there was only one cruise of oil that sealed by the high priest that would only last for 24 hours. But they wanted to bring back the, the holy temple, and so they poured the oil into the uh, menorah, seven-branch menorah, and instead of lasting one day, which would have not have given them enough time to get more holy oil, it lasted eight days in time for them to get more of the oil. And so that menorah burned continuously. And so today, Jewish people light the Hanukkah, which is what it's called, a nine-branched menorah, eight for the eight days, with one Shamus candle, which is the servant candle. And what's interesting, Jimmy, is as Jewish people will light their Hanukkahs this Hanukkah, 
that servant candle is the only one, according to tradition, that could light the other candles. Those candles would have no light if it wasn't for the shamus. And what is the shamus candle? But the servant. The servant is the one that lights the candles. And I, as a Bible-believing Christian today, can tell you, as I'll light my Hanukkah, I'll be reminded that this little light of mine only <laughs> comes from the servant who is willing to come to the earth, incarnate on the earth, the Lord Jesus Christ, to give this whatever light, light I have mine. to others. Well, I'm sorry I spoke over you there, uh, Steve, but this little light of mine, I'd like that phrase, and uh, praise the Lord for that. This is a unique way for Christians to celebrate with the Jewish people this time of the year and have an opportunity to reveal to them the true Messiah, is it not? Oh, Jimmy, I just got off the phone before you contacted me with a woman who has a dear, dear friend and is sharing uh, Jesus as the Messiah. And she was talking to me, and I said, hey, have you sent, have you sent a card or a little gift to your friend for Hanukkah? And she said, oh, you know... I, I haven't done that. I said, look, if you do something like that as a, as a reminder to her that you are aware of the holiday, that it's important to her, it will go a long way in your friendship, but it will also go a long way in establishing a, a link so that you can share these truths with her. And she was so excited, called me, is expecting to call me back uh, to tell me the news upon her friend receiving the gift. Wow, that's a great, great demonstration of how we can reach out to our Jewish friends. May I say, go thou and do likewise. That's kind of a biblical saying as well. Well, Steve Haksameyak to you, my dear friend. Thank you for being available as you are for these Jewish holy days. Thank you. God bless. Bye-bye. What an interesting historical background revealed to us by Steve Herzig, the National Director of Friends of Israel. Boy, that was a great, great segment. You can re-listen to it if you'd like to at ptrnprophecytoday.com. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, I'll be talking to Jim Jr. He's in Romania teaching Bible prophecy at a pastor's conference. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome back to my private studios located here in Katy, Texas. We're just outside of Houston, Texas. We'll be at the First Baptist Church and these temporary studios set up here so we can do the broadcast. We enjoy the privilege and opportunity talking to people here in the United States, but around the world on the Internet as well. This is a great privilege that God has given us. In addition to that, our sons, Jim Jr. and Rick, are right now in Romania. Going to try to get Jim on the line. He is in Romania. We'll find out exactly where. He's there with a group of pastors, around a 100 of them, and they are studying the prophetic word of God. It is a pastor's conference. There, Jimmy is teaching for the very first time in any type of pastor's conference, the premillennial, pre-trib approach to understanding Bible prophecy. Well, keep the dial set. We will talk with Jim as soon as we can make contact with him. Remember, there's a poll question on our website, prophecytoday.com. We'd like for you to answer our poll question. It gives us an understanding of what your thinking is. If you go to the website, prophecytoday.com, scroll down on the left-hand side, you'll see the poll question, and here it is for this week. 
The story of Hanukkah, the eight-day Jewish holy day, reminds us of the defeat of the Grecian king from Syria, Antiochus Epiphanes, that tried to destroy the Jewish people in that day. Today, the Jews face a threat from the modern-day Syrian leader as well. Bashar Assad may use the deadly chemical weapon of mass destruction, sarin gas, on the Jewish people to try to destroy the Jewish state, a scenario that is found in Bible prophecy. Now, here's the question. Could what is happening in Syria today be setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled? Be sure to go to our website, prophecytoday.com. There you'll be able to respond to that question, our poll question. It's on the homepage, prophecytoday.com. And while you're there, you'll see that we list the 10 leading news stories that assist you in understanding current events that are happening around this world that may well be setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. That address again, prophecytoday.com. Now, I'm kind of excited about my next broadcast partner. He's our oldest son, Jim Jr., and along with his brother, Rick, they are in Romania. They're there for a conference with pastors, and the focus is Bible prophecy. Jim, I know you're in Romania, but whereabouts in Romania are you located right now? Dad, we're in the southwest corner of Romania, uh, very close to Timashora, Romania, where the revolution started against the communists. Uh, we're very close to that city. It's actually it's up in the mountains. It's a beautiful place. We're at a resort. Well, it's not really a resort. It's a conference center that was built by K. Arthur's Preset Ministries. So we're here holding this conference here. Now, you are holding a conference, as I understand it, with a group of uh, pastors, of Romanian pastors. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Uh, Romanian pastors, missionaries, youth workers. There are close to about 100 people that are here. That is exciting to me. And the focus, you're trying to assist these Christian workers, and in particular the pastors, to be equipped to teach the Word of God, but in particular the prophetic Word of God. What's the reaction? How are they receiving your teaching? Well, you know, Dad, in this area of Romania, amillennialism and different aspects of interpreting Bible prophecy, are uh, the pastors here and those that go to the churches are very steep. In, uh, in that aspect of interpreting Bible prophecy. We are here treat, uh, teaching pre-tribulation, pre-millennial, dispensationalism uh, view of Bible prophecy. So it's going great, uh, but I am surely being put to the test. <laughs> what do you mean by that? Do you, do you have some Q&A times when they're taking you to the wall, buddy? I just got done with Q&A, and, uh, you know, believe it or not, um, there are a lot of people here that are thanking me for teaching this. For years, they are trying to uh, get this into their churches. And it's, it's not the pastor's fault. They were taught this in their seminaries and their uh, schools of learning that they went to. And so now for years, uh, there are people that have been involved in trying to get the uh, pre-tribulation, pre-millennial view of eschatology into the churches and into this area so that people can understand, because they understand that that is the right way of interpreting Bible prophecy. So you're basically giving them a foundation to be able to go back to their churches, to their different ministries, and teach the prophetic Word of God from a literal approach 
uh, from a fact that God has a plan for the Jewish people and our responsibility is to glorify the Lord in everything that we do, which is the basis for dispensationalism, which is, of course, where you get the premillennial approach to understanding and for a definition for those eavesdropping on the conversation. Premillennial means that Jesus Christ will come before the millennium, uh, the thousand-year millennial kingdom talked about in the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 20, verses 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6. And so this is key for your understanding. You have to approach the scriptures in your study literally. That's what they're doing. And how have they been receiving the fact that God does have a plan for the Jewish people? The amillennial approach says that the church has replaced uh, Israel as it relates to God's promises. But are your pastors and your missionaries and all of the workers there receiving that fact that God does still have a plan for the Jewish people? There, uh, there's some uh, reluctancy to that, Dad. And again, you have to understand that these men have been teaching this, they've been taught this their whole life. But, you know, you came up with a, a great uh, way of teaching this, and as we teach our trio of triplets, that there are three strands of the human family, there are three books of the Bible that pertain to those three strands, and the three remaining events in Bible prophecy. And as you teach that, and you lay that out, it really is hard to argue with it. So uh, there is some arguing going on, but we're doing it all in love. That's great. You're doing it in love. Well, this is such a blessing to your mother and myself, Jim, because you and Rick, our two sons, are there continuing on the ministry that uh, your mom and I started it a number of years ago. I remember the first time that I was into Europe, we went over to Romania, and we were confronted by exactly what you've been confronted by, the fact that by default these pastors don't understand true eschatology as you approach it from a literal interpretation of the Scriptures. They asked me to come back to one particular church where I was, which had a seminary and debate the issue with their students. I was not able to work that into the schedule. But now you guys are there, and I'm so excited about this prospect. It's a real need in that part of Europe. In fact, all of Europe, is it not, Jim? It sure is. Dad, I've got to tell you, when I first started our sessions last night, there were several pastors that came to me, and they remember those meetings of you teaching them in Bucharest back several years ago when you were here with Bill Stafford and Wayne Barber, and they wanted to send you greetings, and they extended again the invitation to you to come back and teach in their churches. Well, I'm not sure that uh, your old man's going to be able to do that, but you guys make sure that uh, you have contact with them because you and Rick, I believe, are the future as far as our ministry is concerned, but in particular reaching out to Europe. I understand that your brother Rick also made some contacts in France, the possibility of replicating what you guys do in Montenegro with the sports evangelism type approach to reaching young people. Is that the case? Yes, sir, it sure is, Dad, and uh, we have a great contact. We've looked uh, into Lyon, France, and we're really excited about the possibility of working with a missionary who can't really be called a missionary, so he's called a pastor there, and he is a pastor, has a church, but he's a missionary to Muslims in that area of France, and so we're looking forward to that. We're also here in Romania with one of the life missionaries, uh, Julian Arvamesco, and he is the head of the Romanian aspect. Uh, they have a youth camp here. The same thing that we do in Montenegro, Julian is doing that here in, 
in uh, Romania. Our nephew, my nephew Josh, your grandson, worked with Julian for years uh, at his camp. And so he has been the instrumental, the pushing part, and getting all these pastors together to come. And, and frankly, when he arrived here, Dad, he didn't know if there would be two pastors here or if there would be a hundred pastors. And the, the conference has really has turned out as well attended. Well, that is fantastic. By the way, I think Julian was uh, one of my students there at uh, the Bible Institute in Hungary. He sure was, Dad. He remembers when the students made a sculpture of you made out of snow. <laughs> that snowman I'll never forget. Uh, you're also working with the leader of life, Eric Murphy, and he has a real heart for that part of the world, doesn't he? Oh, he sure does. He started, he was for almost 20 years in, in, uh, in Hungary, with the Great Word of Life ministry there, Elet Sava, and then uh, he left there and started a ministry and went more to Central Europe, to Romania, to Serbia, to Montenegro, to Dubrovnik, Croatia. So he is branching out and really taking this message in, a, in an area of the world where there are very few missionaries and even fewer churches. Yes, and the fact is these churches have pastors who really don't have the extensive training of some of the pastors, say, for example, in the United States or in other parts of the world. So this is a great, great assistance coming alongside of these pastors and teaching them. I I, I just kind of, as we're talking in this conversation, Jim, I realize that the two go together, evangelism and then edification, evangelizing people who need to be saved and then edifying those saved, and in particular, the pastors and church leaders, so they'll understand what God's Word is saying to them and helping them to realize what time in history we're living. That sure is, Dad. In fact, I used that same analogy last night as I was teaching these pastors that they need to use both of them together uh, and that's the, 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 arm, the two arms of Christianity. Yes, that is so good. Well, now, what other than the foundational truths of our trio of triplets, three members of the human family, three books that are so key to understanding Bible prophecy, Daniel, Ezekiel, and Revelation, and the three main events in the future, the rapture, the return of Christ, and then the great white throne judgment, what else are you teaching and focusing in on maybe some of those three books? Well, we're going to be focusing in on the four major trends, and we're, we're, I'm showing the men here and all those that are attending what we use as we are looking at Bible prophecy and what keeps us focused and, how close, and, and determining how close that we are to the event of the rapture of the church. And you know those four major trends, the, the anticipation for peace, the alignment of the nations, the, uh, everything that's being done as far as the temple being rebuilt and the return of the Jews to the land of Israel. Yes, that is so prevalent throughout all of the prophetic passages in God's Word. Well, Jim, give love to uh, Julian and also to Eric, uh, the members of the Life team that we're partnering with there. Give greetings to your brother, my son, Rick, and uh, praise the Lord for what you're doing. Godspeed as you continue on. Give greetings to all of those in the conference as well from here in the United States. I will do that, Dad. Thank you so much, buddy, and you guys uh, stay safe, and we'll see you when you get back. Yes, sir. 
What a joy for me personally to be able to talk to Jim Jr. in Romania. They're teaching at a pastor's conference focused on Bible prophecy. The first ever premillennial pre-trib prophecy conference to be held with that many pastors gathered together at one place. Be sure to pray for Jim and Rick and the other members of the team of life under Eric Murphy. They need your prayers as they try to reach lost people and evangelize them and then edify the saved and in particular the pastors and the Christian leaders of that part of the world. By the way, let me remind you, if you'll go to our website, prophecytoday.com, we have some great Christmas specials. There are teaching tools that will help you, your family, and your friends to understand Bible prophecy. This is key to the time in which we're living in our world today with everything that is happening. Go to our website. We begin today a very special offer for Christmas on prophecytoday.com. It is the entire set of my teaching on Bible prophecy. We start out with me walking through the book of Revelation on the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. I do this chronologically. Then we have my five-hour audio series where I teach Revelation chronologically. You cannot study Revelation numerically. have to study it the way it plays out chronologically. I have a workbook that goes along with that, and I have a brand new book entitled Revelation, A Chronology. This would be a great Christmas gift for your friends, your family, even yourself. Go to our website, prophecytoday.com. Well, we're going to have to take a break. I'm going to take a look at the book and bring Hanukkah, Syria, and Christmas all together. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. In today's world, a biblical worldview and a proper understanding of biblical prophecy should be a priority. At a time when many false doctrines are entering the church at a frightening pace, we must be able to rightly divide God's Word in order to live a pure and productive life for Him. If you would like an in-depth understanding of biblical prophecy, let me challenge you to consider Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. The School of Prophets is an online study for the layman or student pursuing a master's or doctorate degree. Dr. DeYoung's online study program will allow you to develop a timeline of biblical prophecies of the past, as well as future prophecies yet to be fulfilled. Your personal study of God's Word will only be enhanced by Dr. DeYoung's School of Prophets, and your life will be changed as you better understand, like Daniel, where you fit into God's calendar of events. If you're interested in developing a deeper understanding of God's prophetic Word, let me personally invite you to become involved in Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. Call today at 8-PROPHECY-8, that's 877-674-3298, or visit us at schoolofprophets.org. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. 
It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. On Prophecy Today weekend, we focused on the chemical weapon of mass destruction threat from Syria and that its Prime Minister Bashar Assad is ready to unload this chemical weapon, this weapon of mass destruction, possibly on his own people or some adjoining country, i.e. Israel. Our broadcast partners talked with us about the situation, gave us details behind the danger of this chemical weapon of mass destruction, which could indeed bring harm to many, many people. We talked with Ken Timmerman in Washington, D.C., as one of our broadcast partners, how this chemical sarin gas is ready and is so dangerous and how it kills in moments. Also, we talked with him about why Bashar Assad is ignoring President Obama and why he is not taking the warning from the President and the United States. Dave Dolan gave us our Middle East news update. We discussed the possible sarin attack on Israel by Bashar Assad to divert attention away from what's happening in his country. Also, King Abdullah was in Ramallah. He's there to help Mahmoud Abbas, the president of the state of Palestine, to establish that state. Rabbi Yoel Karen talked about an Abbas statement earlier this week when in Ramallah, Mahmoud Abbas said that Jerusalem is the eternal capital of the state of Palestine. That's right in the face of many Jewish leaders down through the years. Jerusalem, the Bible tells us, belongs to the Jewish people. We'll get into that discussion with Yoel Karen, and we'll also look at Hanukkah, a Jewish holy day. Rob Congdon is our man who covers the European Union. He talked with us on Prophecy Today weekend about how the European Union is looking at the situation in Syria. And then we had a conversation with Steve Herzig. He is the National Director of Friends of Israel, and he gave us the details, the historic background for Hanukkah, this eight-day Jewish holy day, and he brought to our attention the connection between Hanukkah and Christmas. And then I had the joy of interviewing my own son, Jim Jr. He's in Romania with our other son, Rick. They're there for the first ever pastor's conference that is focused on Bible prophecy, the premillennial, pre-trib approach to understanding Bible prophecy. Many pastors are there, not all agreeing, but all listening to what the Word of God has to say. All of these conversations are available and can be heard on our website, prophecytoday.com. You go to the website, then go to PTRN. It's on the right-hand column of the front page. Scroll down and you'll see it. Double-click on it. It'll bring up each individual interview or the entire program. They're all archived there. Every one of our broadcasts are. That's at prophecytoday.com, PTRN. And by the way, be sure to tell a friend about what they can listen to on Prophecy Today. It'll give them great information. Now let's go to the scriptures and the connection between the Jewish Holy Day of Hanukkah, Syria, and its chemical weapon of mass destruction threat, and the day of Christmas. You know the celebration of Hanukkah, celebrated by the Jewish people, marks the victory over a Grecian king who governed what is modern-day Syria, but this Jewish Holy Day has a connection to Christmas as well. If you have a moment, think about this with me. The eight-day Jewish holy days mark the victory over the Grecian king Antiochus Epiphanes, who ruled what is today Syria. The eight days resulted from the lighting of the menorah with enough virgin olive oil for the menorah to burn one day. 
but instead it burned eight days. This happened in 165 B.C., December the 25th, when the Maccabees reconsecrated the Jewish temple after the madman Antiochus had committed an abomination of the temple by sacrificing a pig on the Jewish altar. He did that exactly three years to the day before the reconsecration of the temple on December the 25th, 168 B.C. By the way, that date, December the 25th, was chosen by the early church fathers to celebrate Christmas because Jesus Christ himself celebrated Hanukkah. That's John chapter 10 and verse 22, which records Jesus going into Jerusalem for the Feast of Dedication. Hanukkah is the Hebrew word for dedication. This account of Jewish history sets the stage for an end-of-time scenario that can be found in Bible prophecy. When Antiochus Epiphanes slaughtered a pig on the Jewish temple altar, the Bible called it the abomination that maketh desolate. It was a prototype of the abomination of desolation that the Antichrist performs at the midway point of the tribulation period. And that's found in the book of Daniel, chapter 9 and verse 27, Matthew 24, 15, and 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2 and verse 4. Since this satanic event will take place in a Jewish temple in Jerusalem, that reveals to us there must be a temple in Jerusalem for this prophecy to be fulfilled. And that next Jewish temple is ready to be rebuilt right now. In addition, of course, there must be someone that fulfills the prophecy for an antichrist, similar to his prototype, which was Antiochus Epiphanes. That world dictator is alive and well on planet Earth today and ready to assume his satanically energized power and his seat of authority. That's found in the book of Revelation, chapter 13, verses 1 to 3. Jews celebrating Hanukkah today is a reminder that in a near future tomorrow, Bible prophecy will be fulfilled. At this season of Hanukkah, might I suggest you find a Jewish friend and thank them. The fact is, the Maccabees stopped Antiochus Epiphanes from destroying the Jewish people. Remember, it was from a Jewish young lady that the Messiah, Jesus Christ, came at Christmas time, there is a very interesting connection between Hanukkah and Christmas. You can use that to talk to one of your Jewish friends about Jesus Christ, the true Messiah who was born at Christmas time. May I also suggest that we remember the reason for the season. We can get caught up into everything that's happening at Christmas time and not be aware of what the Lord really wants us to know about this time of the year. This look at the book, I hope and pray, will help you to understand current events unfolding and how Hanukkah and Christmas play a key role in understanding these times in which we're living today. And you know, with everything we've said on the broadcast today, it is indeed very evident to all of us that these events could happen at any moment. But let me remind you quickly that the rapture takes place before all of these prophecies are fulfilled. And that rapture could happen at any moment. And having said that, there's nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Today.